Good morning, everybody. How are you today? You good? We got a couple goods. We got any bads in here? Any I'm still asleep in here? Any one hour extra really doesn't keep the kids asleep one hour longer in here? I know it's fun when you get the extra hour of sleep, but it's amazing when you have kids. It, that one extra hour just doesn't seem to cut it. But nonetheless, I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. And for everyone joining us online, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us today as we dive into God's Word. We're going to get into a message this morning that is actually a one-off, a, a separate one from the teaching we've been doing. Over the past number of weeks, we've been going through a portion of our Old Testament from the book of Genesis, which is the book of beginnings, the big stories of how all things that are came to be. But today, we're going to take a one-week pause and address a different topic because, you may know this, this Tuesday, there is an election. Did you know that? Some of you are going, that's all I've heard about for the past year. It's been coronavirus and the presidential election. How many of you are ready for the election season to be over with? Can I see some hands in here? Oh, man. We've got a clap going on in here as well. But today, we're going to take a pause And talk a little bit about this because here's the reality. Although we are not ultimately citizens of earth, we certainly interact on the earth. Can I get an amen to that? We deal with the things that everyone else deals with. We experience the ups and the downs of our culture. And so today we're going to pause and instead of talking about, we're going to come back to how we got here. But this week, today, we're going to look at this. Jesus for president. By the way, how many of you would love to have seen his name on the ballots as an option this year? Now, let me start with this. I think, this is my opinion, I think and I believe that being able to vote is one of the greatest God-given rights that I get to enjoy as an American. Now, you may not agree and that's okay, but for me, I have far too many family members And friends who have fought to defend my right to express my opinion, to be able to influence the direction of the nation because of my vote, I've had too many people give their lives for that, for me not to value it. And so like so many of you, we, my wife and I, we've already voted. We stood out in one of those massive lines. I almost showed you the picture I took, but it was one of those panorama pictures because it kind of went all the way around. This line was so big. It went longer and bigger than a football field circumference. It was massive. But I counted a treasure to be able to participate in this process. But like many of you... Um, By the way, is this a safe place today? Can we talk honestly today? Your silence is not encouraging. Do I need to put up some chicken wire first or or something here? I'm going to speak very plainly with you today if I can speak at all today. And here's what I want to tell you. Although I am so honored to vote, and I have strong opinions about things. You want to know them? We can talk about this. I wish... We had better candidates sometimes, don't you? So many of you have come to me upset about this because, as one of my friends put it, he said, Josh, I feel like I'm having to choose between a bad personality and bad policies. And many of us, I think, in this room feel a similar frustration at times where we say, there's something I see and I'm hungry for a leader that I can trust, 
that I can honor, that I can follow without reservations. But I've got something to tell you this morning. By the way, this morning is all about perspective shifts. So here's the first one before I put anything on the screen. Here's the first thing you need to know. What you and I hunger for in a leader, we will never find from an earthly leader. Okay? So we're just going to start there. Some of you are going, whoa, that's the sermon today? It gets better. But I just want to start with that here. Now, for some of us, uh, you kind of go, I'd love to have some different options. And I saw this great picture, and I love this, because one person, I think, captured my feelings so well, of these two four-year-old twins. And I love the caption, can I vote for one of them instead? I'd love to have baby Trump or baby Biden is the way some of us feel. And for some, you're going to say, well, you know what? I can't pick a perfect candidate, but I will pick the one that I think will do the least damage or the one who will keep the most freedoms or the person who will promote this particular thing the most. And maybe you've kind of worked it out that way. But I know, I know, I know some of us, some of us in here or joining us online, you've said, you know what? Forget it. I'm not even going to vote. I can't stand any of my options. But perspective number two is simply this. No matter who you vote for or don't vote for, here's the reality. Come Tuesday, someone will be elected president. Or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whenever they get all the votes tallied. Someone will be elected president. Here's the second truth here. And no matter who it is, some of us won't like who it is. Some of us are going to be excited and depressed. Others, excited or depressed. There's going to be a mixture even within the Lord's Church, And again, the reality is this week, what we're about to see is human options and we're going to get human results from those options. But I want to raise your gaze this morning. I want to give you a a clarity as a follower of Christ. I want you to go away with a sense of purpose and of hope. And I believe that God's word has something to say for us today. Because here's the reality, whether you vote for the national election on Tuesday or not, Here's the other perspective I need you to know today. No matter if you vote or not, there is another election that is occurring. This election is a daily election. Don't put it up yet anymore, but this is a daily election. In fact, this election, you don't have to wait till Tuesday to vote. You don't have to wait another two years to vote or four years to vote. This election happens every day. In fact, it is happening right here right now in this room. In fact, if you're leaning in and listening, you're voting. If you're pulling back and ignoring, you're voting. Right now, every one of us is in a daily election process. Not only us in the church, but every person who is breathing around the world is daily casting their vote. And I will tell you, this election, this election is the most important election This election is the one that determines not only the trajectory of your life, but it is the election that has determined every decision, every good and evil in human history. You say, what is this election? Here's the election. There's a daily election between Jesus and everything else. Every one of us today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, and if the Lord should tarry next week, month, year, decade... We all are making a daily decision on who we will vote for. Will we vote for Jesus as our leader or will we elevate someone or something else as the one we trust and follow? 
And I want us this morning to talk about what does it mean to vote for Jesus Christ? What does it vote for? What does it mean? It's going to mean three things. And I'm just going to give you three words. If you want to go ahead and jot these down, we'll talk about them. But three words I want you to hear this morning. To vote for Jesus means three things according to the text we're going to look at. Number one, it's going to mean pray. It's going to mean live. And it's going to mean remember. Pray, live, remember. Let's go through these very quickly. The first thing that the text we look at in 1 Timothy chapter 2 says is that we are to be a praying people. If you are to be someone who votes for Jesus, who says, today, the election of my heart that will track the course of my life and the lives of those around me, it begins with prayer. And not just prayer for some, but prayer for the next president. You say, I don't know who the next president is. I don't know that I'll want to pray for that person. Church, it is not a question of do you like the person. It's a question of will you pray for the person. This is what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He says, to a church in Ephesus, by the way, Paul, the apostle, is writing from prison to his protege, Timothy. Timothy was leading the churches in the city of Ephesus, and he's giving Timothy some marching orders. He's saying, this is how you live and how you te- treat, treat others and teach others to live as well. So he says this, I urge then, first of all, that, notice these words, petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now, these first three words are actually synonyms. They are all different words saying essentially the same thing. It means that you should pray. And then he says, not only should you pray, but some of those prayers should be thanksgiving for all people. Let's stop there for a moment. There are people in your life today, not elected officials, but just people that you're around that are easy to pray for and some that are hard to pray Four, can I get an oh yeah? Now don't look at that person this morning who's difficult to pray for. Don't, don't nudge them. You just keep your eyes with me. If you need to, just kind of go like this and I'll know, okay? There's some people that are easy to pray for and some that are hard. But Paul does not say to vote for Jesus means you choose to pray for only those who are nice to you. You pray for all People. This is what Jesus said, that we bless those who curse us, not just blessing those who are like us or love us. We bless with our words to God those that even may have it out against us. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, and for kings and all those in authority. Now, I know as soon as I say that, some of you are having like a gag reflex issue, like, mm, really? Uh, maybe for the past four years, you've struggled to pray for the president. Or maybe the previous eight years you struggled to pray for the president. And some of us in this room have struggled with our prayer lives, but Paul begins by saying, this is where it begins. In fact, notice this. First of all, he says, first, this is the priority of a vote for Jesus, that prayer is the priority for every Christ follower. Now, let's think for a moment here. Who is Paul's king in his day and age. Now, if we understand correctly, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy in the mid-60s AD, most likely. He's in prison, awaiting trial. He's going before the king of the Roman Empire. We called him a Caesar. And on this occasion, the Caesar was a man named Nero. Nero, if you know anything about history, was no fan of the church, of Christians. In fact, he hated the Christians. He would, it was said, collect Christians He would bind them, put them on giant stakes, tie them to it. Then he would cover them in tar and pitch, and he would light the Christians on fire around the courtyards of his castle so they would provide light at his nighttime parties. 
This is the king that Paul says, pray for the kings and all those in authority. This is the king that Paul will soon go before and Paul will not get a good result from his trial. He will be beheaded according to church history. And Paul says, you pray for the king. Church, if the early Christians could pray for a murderous king, how much more ought we who get to choose who lead us pray for them? We are blessed. But whether or not we live in a safe, free nation where Generally speaking, our votes matter. How much more ought we pray for those who are leading us? Paul says this is where it begins. And so this is why so often we say this phrase, prayer is our first response, not our last resort. Here's the reason why. Prayer changes everything. Prayer changes everything. The number of times that we have lifted up certain circumstances or situations before God and he will answer it, there will be a healing, there will be a restored marriage, there will be a child who comes back home. We have seen God work. We know that prayer changes everything. In fact, here's a vision for you. When you think about prayer, it's like a thermostat. You know what a thermostat is? Any of you use your thermostat in the past day or so turning that heat up? Anyone else? Oh, man. I love cold weather because I am hot-blooded. I just, I mean, I'm hot all the time in our house. So I love it when it gets cold. Then I don't have to turn on my electricity for the heating or air. But last night, last night was so great. I was so cold. I got cold in the bed. And so I pulled off the covers. I ran to the hall and, and, and I twisted the thermostat knob. You know that moment you click it and you can tell it comes on because there's that little, if it's an old one like ours, there's that little click sound, right? And a moment later, you then hear... And the good God of creation sends heat into the frigid spaces of our home. And I love it because you turn the knob and the heat begins to come. I am going to a power source to do something I can't produce. And when I interact with that power source, it changes both the atmosphere And it changes me as well. I'm no longer cold. The space is no longer cold. Church, hear me now. Prayer is the way that you warm your soul towards the things of God. When you go to him in prayer, you are saying, God, I can't change the culture around me. I can't even warm my own soul towards you. I need you to help me. So when you go to God, you are warming, you are changing the temperature, not on your power, but you're going to the one who can change it on your behalf. Hear me now. The church When she prays, things happen. Is it possible the reason our nation is so cold towards the things of God because the church has refused to go to God in prayer for the nation? We've been called to beg God for our country. And not just for our selfish safety, but for the salvation of the world. God's heart is that others may come to know him. This is why, church, if you want to cast your vote for Jesus, it begins by going to God in prayer, not just for those people you like, but for all people. Number two, live as citizens of heaven even while on earth. We pray for the next president. We, we pray for those we don't like, but we then live as citizens of heaven on earth. Here's what that means. If you've ever been to a different country, you know there are laws and customs in that country, and you are responsible to be aware of them and to navigate them but you are still a citizen of the United States. You just are in a different land. 
The scriptures say of us that we are strangers in this land. This is not our home. My little ID may say I live in Tennessee, but my true address is in heaven. It's 777, heaven's way. That's where I live. And so when I'm here on earth, although I have to navigate this culture, I live according to the rules and the ethic of our heavenly kingdom and our heavenly king. So what does it mean to live as citizens of heaven? This is what Paul says in the next verses. He says, we pray that we may notice this word, live, live. All of this prayer is so that we may live specifically peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Men and women, let me ask you, if you were given four words to describe the American church, would it be these four words? When you look out across the nation, would you say that we are a peaceful, quiet, godly, and holy people today? Or if you look online at Christians' blog posts, Twitter feeds, Facebook posts, would you say, eh, maybe not? We are to live as citizens of heaven, even on earth, that we are bringing the ethics of the kingdom of God into the kingdom of man. This is what he is saying, that we live a certain way on behalf of the kingdom of God on earth. And the early church embraced this so much that it upturned the entire known world. If you want to see a great story, it actually is about this church in Ephesus. Go to Acts 19 this week, read about it. The gospel penetrates this pagan city of Ephesus so much that there were these silversmiths that would craft these little silver idols of their goddess. And because the gospel came in and so radically changed the people of the city, they quit buying these little idols and all the silversmiths get together and say, we've got to do something about this church because we are going out of business. Can you imagine the gospel grabbing hold of our country so much that pagan, wicked industries go out of business? Can you imagine a world like that? It begins when we as Christians live as citizens of heaven, even on earth. You say, well, what does that look like? Let me give you a few suggestions here. Put these up, please. Number one, I'd suggest we give dignity even when you disagree with someone. You can disagree without being disagreeable. Christians, we ought to watch what we say even when we're online. It is not an option to behave one way here and a different way when you're behind the screen. May I just say that that is cowardice and bad representation of Jesus Christ. We represent him in everything. We value everyone even when it costs us something. This means we show value even when it may not be popular. We live by the scriptures. The Bible is our ultimate authority. This is what we go to for what is right and what is wrong. We do not look to the culture. We do not lick our fingers, stick it up, and see which way the wind is blowing and say, that's what we will do. But as Christians of the Almighty God, we go to his word and say, this is what we're going to do no matter what culture says or doesn't say. And finally, to live as citizens, we say we trust God even when we're scared. Because at the end of the day, We trust that he is in control, that we may live peaceful, quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Why? Next slide, it says this. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Do you notice this? Everything Paul is saying is not ultimately just so you and I have an easier life. It's not ultimately so that we have what we want. It is so that people will come to know Jesus 
Can you imagine what it would look like if the church were more concerned with the salvation of our city than the comfort of our Christians? This is what we've been called into. You say, what does it mean to vote for Jesus? It means that we pray for the next president, no matter if we like the next president or not, that we then live as Christ followers, kingdom people of God, even while on earth, knowing and wanting people to come to know Jesus, to be saved. And then finally, notice what it says this. We remember that Jesus is still king. To vote for Jesus means that we remember he is our king. Friends, Jesus Christ is your king. And we're told that at the end of time, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth. You say, what does that mean? Heaven is the place where God lives. Earth is where the living live. Under the earth represents those who have disavowed Christ in this life. And we're told that at the end time, everyone, heaven, earth, under the earth, there will come a moment where no matter what you said of Jesus on earth in your life, you will in that moment say, yes, he really is king. I hope you get there before you get there. Do you get me? He is our king. This is what Paul says. Look at these verses. For there is one God. Friends, there is one God and his name is not Donald Trump. Friends, there is one God and his name is not Joe Biden. His name is Jesus the Christ. He is the one that we bow to, submit to, trust in all things. No matter what's going on, he is the one that we trust. Now, let me give you something to think about here. Um, Maybe the way to illustrate this is every four years, groups will put together a list of the top, best, and worst presidents. In fact, I saw one just the other day from C-SPAN. It was ranking the top best presidents. And they put a list together. Don't, don't put it up yet, but, but here is what I'd invite you to do. Go ahead and lean to someone, and I want you to guess how many presidents you can guess correctly that are on their top ten list. Go ahead. See what you can do. Go ahead. Lean to someone. Tell them. What presidents do you think are on this list? How many of you can name more than ten presidents? Any? Uh, All right, you ready? You ready? Let's see. How many you got right? Put these up here. Number one, Abraham Lincoln. Did anyone get Abraham Lincoln that would be on this list? Okay. How many of you said George Washington would be on this list? All right. Roosevelt? The other one? What about Eisenhower? Anyone? You kind of go on down this list. Now, I'm not saying you have to agree with this list. I don't agree with this list. But this is what one group said. These were the 10 best presidents of all 45. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Whether you love them or loathe them, whether you agree or disagree with this list, you want to know the one thing all of these presidents have in common? They ain't president anymore. Are are we tracking here? Four years, eight years, 12 years for one. End of the day, they are not president. And get this, they're not even alive anymore. 
Hear me now. Some of us get so anxious and have put our hope in a mere mortal, so much so that every four years, we're like, oh, oh, oh no, oh no, oh no. We are these manic depressives of our culture because we have put our trust in a man who at best gets eight years. And the best of the best, however you define it, they're not even here anymore. Church, there's only one ruler who has never been voted in and therefore cannot be voted out. One ruler who, although he died, he came back from the dead and because of that will never be beaten again. There's only one ruler who charts the course of human history, determines our destiny, who has saved us from our sin, lifts us up, and gives us eternal life. That... King and ruler's name is Jesus. And if you are trusting anyone else, friends, you are setting yourselves up for immense depression, fear, and failure because I don't care who the candidate is, as good as he may be, she may be, he may be, she may be, it doesn't matter. They will never give you what you desire, which is security, significance, and a sense of belonging. At best, they can cover over the fear you have for a few short years. But there is a king. His name is Jesus. And he says, you vote for me and I will never let you down. And it will not matter what the election outcome is. He will still be on the throne. My question, I come back to it, friends. What are you voting for today? Yes, go vote on Tuesday. Enjoy the right. Vote, but then vote again on Wednesday and on Thursday and next week and next year. And you vote every day when you wake up in the morning. You tell the Lord God, I need you. I need you. I vote for you. I'm going to fail. There are going to be moments where I will shift into voting for something else, but I trust you. Help me, God, to trust you more. And so we do that. We recite what we just did. We pray for the next president. God, I may not like this person, but thank you for giving us a leader that we don't have anarchy. Father, I may not trust what's going on in this situation and the people overseeing it, but God, thank you for giving me this life in this nation. You pray for people. You live as a citizen of heaven on earth. You vote. Here's the deal. Many of us get to vote in secret with our ballots for the nation's president, but your life is a public vote for Jesus. And then we say, God, you are king no matter what happens. We trust you.